recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christagenia Saturdays. Christagenia Internet Radio. Today is Saturday, March 16th, 2013. Praise Yahweh, the God of true Israel, and not the God of bastards. And thank you for listening. For, um... Well, Clifton Emma Heiser and I had had, had um, known for a long time that there was a problem with some of Eli James's statements. Now, we understood two years before I split with Eli James, almost as soon as I started working with him, that Eli James was trying to leave his foot in the door for the possibility that non-Adamic people would see the kingdom of heaven. At that time, and and Clifton thought it a good idea, I decided, and, and that's my policy all the time, it's always my policy, to let the gospel divide us, to let the gospel divide the wheat and the tares. It took two years. Eli forcing the race issue to the front burner and having many words with Clifton Emmerheiser, many dishonest words with Clifton Emmerheiser, I was forced to split with Eli, to force a split with Eli, and that happened. It happened in January 2011. I worked with him two years. Often I enjoyed working with Eli. He, he's magnanimous. He's affable. He's friendly. That's why people like Eli James. But he's a universalist. And universalism is absolutely contrary to Scripture. Now, Eli James denies the label universalist. He defines universalism in his own extreme terms. Universalism, as I define it, is the belief that the grace of God, the favor of Yahweh our God, can be extended to non-Adamic peoples. That, to me, is universalism. That the message of the gospel and the grace and beneficence of Christ and the bounty that Yahweh has promised to bestow upon the children of Israel can be shared by the other races. That's universalism. That is not Christianity. Yahshua Christ came only for the sheep, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And nobody gets to the Father except through him. But Bill, what do you tell the white person who's only 15% Canaanite? Well, right, and, and, and we'll get to that. I have tonight, I have Sword Brethren on with me tonight to present this topic. Tonight, I am going to prove that Eli James is a universalist. I am going to prove that Eli James picks certain scriptures and takes them out of context or only presents them partially. I refer to Isaiah chapter 13. I refer to Ezekiel chapter 18 in his endeavor to pick and choose through the scriptures in order to build a ministry in support of bastards, of mamsers. That's what Eli James has done. Tonight we will hear that, not from my words, we will hear it from his own mouth. I have five 
Um, I, I have not listened to a lot of Eli James programs in the last two years. Don't get me wrong. I've listened to perhaps three of his programs since we split. One of those programs, actually, I'm sorry, about three and a half. One of those programs was the program he did with Greg Howard. The weekend that we split in January of 2011, I only have about a minute and a half from that program. That's all I need to make my point. Another one is the program, and, and I was quite proud of Sword Brethren, when a week after I split with Eli James, Brian had him on his program come out of her, his Sunday night talk show program, which he was running at the time, in order to question him about some of the differences that he had with myself, which Clifton Emmerheiser, for the most part, shares, so Eli often lumps us together, and to explain his positions on certain things, and I think that Eli had anticipated an easy ride, having known Brian for a lot longer than I do, but Brian really held his feet to the fire and made him answer some hard questions, or made him attempt to answer some hard questions. So we have two outtakes from that program, January 2011, a week after the split. The, the fourth outtake of, of or, or segment of Eli's words that I have is from an extermination program he did with Greg Howard, I believe in the late summer of 2011. And the fourth, the, the fifth and final outtake I have from Eli's recordings is from a Republic Radio program that anticipated, well, well that, that actually was the catalyst for this program tonight, the Republic Radio program that he did on February 24th on the voice of Christian Israel. And, and if listening to these five segments of Eli's own words, and letting me put some of the scripture into perspective that Eli loves to quote doesn't prove that he's a universalist. I don't, I don't know how to get people to see this. It's absolutely clear to most of the people that listen and read at Christogenia. Well, I'd like to remind people that Eli, by his own admission, has an advanced degree in psychology. I believe a, a Master of Science in Psychology and he's basically using a, a tactic of manipulation in addition to changing the definitions of words. So he creates a pet definition of universalism, and he says, oh, I don't meet this pet definition of universalism, so I'm not a universalist. But his pet definition is not in line with what most people understand to constitute universalism. So by the definition of the guy on the street, the average Smo, Eli is a universalist. But he has a pet definition that he doesn't meet the definition of. Well, well, absolutely. He, he, it's it's like a Bolshevik that that twisted the definition of tyrant to, to, to right. claim that he's so, not a tyrant. Or, or, or some social democrat who has a pet definition of communist, he doesn't meet it, so you, he, he insists you do not call him a communist. Well, well, real universalism is the idea that the, the grace and favor of God can be extended to all races. And when Eli, which he does often in his only own words, wishes um, all races peace and prosperity in 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 the the kingdom to come, that's universalism. That's universalism. The and it's totally contrary to scripture. And and we will see that tonight. I'm going to play the first. I'm not going to um, elaborate. 
at length without actually having some 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 cud to chew, right? So I'm going to play the first tape now. This first segment is from a program Eli did with Greg Howard the weekend we split in January 2011. And here it is. The word loss comes from the uh, Greek apolumi, meaning put away in punishment, or if we wanted to translate it in one word, exiled. I am not sent but to the exiled sheep of the house of Israel. So uh, he's saying, I don't... Uh, I don't believe that I have any relationship with you, and you, sh- you don't have any with me. Verse 25. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not me. <laughs> Again, he's telling her, It is not right or fitting or proper to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. So he's calling her a dog. Okay? He's calling her a dog. Verse 27. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And that word master's is S apostrophe, not apostrophe S. So the word master is not a reference to Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a reference to us, the people of Israel. Okay. Okay. So from this passage, it's very clear to me that... Yahshua has no intention of exterminating all Canaanites. Some of these Canaanites will be allowed to live in there wherever they were created. Uh, let me just go back. And uh, if you want to get your verses ready, I think you wanted to go to Matthew 25. Yeah. Okay. If you got it ready, because I wanted to go to Isaiah, and I want to prove that the concept I just uh, elucidated is also in the Old Notice, notice first in in that segment of words from Eli's own mouth that Eli takes the words of the Canaanite woman and he makes a Christian doctrine out of them. The Canaanite woman says, "Yet the dogs eat from the crumbs from their masters' tables." They're the words of the Canaanite woman. Eli, Eli took that word masters, which is plural in the Greek, and he equated that to Israelites in, in his, to squeeze it into his dominion theory that, that um, in, in the next age, and, and this is his theory, that, that the Israelites or, or the, the Adamites, by extension, would rule over all the world's other races. And the Canaanites would be subject to the children of Israel, which is absolutely contrary to the lesson that the children of Israel were to have learned from the the, the experience they had in the conquest of the land of Canaan when they were told to exterminate all the Canaanites, to exterminate them all, man, woman, and child. And they failed to do that, and because they failed to do that, they would the Canaanites would be thorns in the sides and, and, and pricks in the eyes of the children of Israel. However, the promise, the Christian promise in Zechariah fourteen twenty one is that in that day there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of Yahweh of hosts. The earth is Yahweh's in the fullness of it. Bill, did you notice too what Eli didn't mention is rather telling he said they will get to go back to their lands, dot, 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 wherever they come from. 
So Eli, he doesn't want to pin it down because ultimately, I, I've said this before, they come from Satan. They're the seed of Satan, and they can't return to his testicles. You know, well, well Canaanites the, are a bastard race. What lands do they have? The, children, the land of Canaan was given for, forever to the children of Israel. How right. could it, it's Eli but with this idea that these alien races are going to go back to where they came from and live happily ever after until they die out? That that Eli is creating a false eschatology based on Isaiah 13, and this night I will prove from Isaiah 13 that Eli is lying and he's created indeed a false eschatology. How much does he even know about antiquity, though? He, he said that the Turks would go back to Turkey, but they're not from they're not from the lands of the former Eastern Roman Empire. They're squatting on the Byzantine Greco well, land. Well, right. The Turks started out as Orientals, and the further west they migrated, the whiter they became through miscegenation. Right, and he said the Australians, the Aborigines, look at Australia. I guess that means all the Irish and English immigrants there need to leave. Well, well, right. I, I guess so. It, it's what we don't belong in North America, which Eli admits is the New Jerusalem in, in his in, in his own interpretations of prophecy. But everyone's going back to where they came from, so I, I guess that means I'll see you in the Alps because we have to leave North America. Yeah, but we don't belong in the Alps. We belong in the land of Canaan, and Eli wants to turn that back to the Canaanites, right? I, I mean, it's a ridiculous eschatology, and and we shall see that. It's an absolutely ridiculous eschatology that also proves, Eli, by his own eschatology, proves that he knows nothing about the history of antiquity. Right, so he wants to make Christian doctrine from one sentence uttered by a Canaanite woman. Right, and, and you know, we cannot take the words of man in the Bible and esteem them for the words of God. Otherwise, we could go back to Genesis chapter 4, where Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And we could make a Christian doctrine out of that. Oh, I don't have to care about my brother. So what if Jesus said this later? It don't change what Cain said in Genesis 4. I mean, that's a ridiculous... And, and we will see that Eli has a propensity to do this. He does it again in Jonah. He takes the words that the Bible records, which are uttered by men, and makes Christian doctrine out of them. They're not the words of God. The words of the Canaanite woman, just because they're in the Bible, they're not the words of God. We do not make doctrine out of them. They might help us understand why the Canaanite woman was granted her wish, because she made a startling admission agreeing with Christ. But there are other reasons why Christ healed her daughter that Eli does not address and which I have in my Matthew series and, and in my Mark series on, on, on those scriptures. But Eli does not address them because he believes that he could extrapolate that into the idea that Canaanites can be saved, which is contrary to the word of God in so many other places. So just because something is recorded in the Bible, Eli wants to make doctrine out of it. Well, Solomon committed a, a number of grievous offenses. It's recorded. That doesn't mean we make doctrine out of well, it. Well, right. I mean, we, we run into all sorts of mistakes making doctrine over the words of men in the Bible. Well, well I only included this clip. This clip isn't important. This idea will be repeated out of Eli's mouth again this evening in some of his other clips. But I included this clip so that we could see how Eli James treats the Scripture, making what he can out of any statement 
regardless as to who utters it. Well, when you want to interpret a biblical statement, you have to see who it's coming from, who it's being spoken to, what the context is, what the time frame is. There's a lot of things that are important, and we will see that again this night. That, 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 that Eli loves to take things out of context to fit his, his, um, his own Save the Bastards eschatology. So if I call you up someday and say, oh, Bill, I've had a great revelation about a new doctrine. You know, Esau said it. It's in the Bible. We're going to run with it. it. It would be incumbent on you to put that to a, you know, put a halt to that. Right. This next clip is several minutes long. I might pause it so that we could discuss certain aspects of it midway. This is from your program with Eli James from January of 2011. I think it was January 29th or 28th. Do you remember? It might have been the, might have been the 30th. The 30th, okay. Being, if, Yahweh, uh, if Yahshua healed the Canaanite woman's daughter, that's, we are to follow his example, right? That means, and, and chances are, that the, they, were very, they were probably more white than Canaanite, okay? Is it their fault that their parents mongrelized? More white than Canaanite. They were more white than Canaanite, meaning that Eli is it is basically, he's accepting bastards. So if I hand you a cup of water that has gasoline in it, and I say, well, it's more water than gasoline, are you going to drink it? Well, well is a quadroon more white than black, so he's acceptable. Why were, why were the Canaanites cursed? And why did they mix that, that they mixed their, their seed with, with the Rephaim and the Canaanites and... and and um, the Canaanites and Perizzites who are not listed in the genealogies of Genesis chapter 10, therefore they're almost certainly not Adamic people. Okay. It's their, mis it's their misfortune, though, because it means they can never be in the kingdom. That's right. Right. Let me rewind this now a couple of seconds. Then Canaanite, okay? Is it their fault that their parents mongrelized? Okay. It's their, their misfortune, though, because it means they can never be in the kingdom. That's right. They can't. But all I'm saying is that, that there's no need. To, there's no law that says all mongrels will be executed under the law. It just says. Now, now when did um. What well, when e Eli is going to blame Clifton and I several times this evening, and he does in several of his papers. He, he tells people that Clifton and I teach that we should go out and kill all the mongrels. And we don't teach that. We teach that Yahweh, our God, is going to dispose of all the mongrels by the day of judgment. That's what we teach. Everybody who's not found written in the book of life is headed for the lake of fire. That's what we teach. But Eli has basically... Um, attributed to Clifton and I an extreme view that we do not hold, that we do not promote, neither Clifton nor I have ever promoted violence. We've both taught that judgment and, and that vengeance belong to Yahweh, our God. And just because we teach what we are certain that the Bible teaches concerning the, the bastards and, and the aliens of the world, 
Eli twists that into a lie in order to make us look um, like some sort of crazy, violence-preaching extremists. And he does that to scare people off of what we really teach. Eli lies about what Clifton and I really teach so that he could portray us as evil and scare people off of what we really teach. Well, it's a shameful straw man tactic. It's despicable. And it just goes back to the psychological manipulation. It's an appeal to emotion. Bill and Clifton are exterminationists. In his latest paper, Crumbs, he says that your doctrine is evil, and evil must be opposed. Well, I mean, what a rallying cry. It just sounds like the sort of crap we heard in the 30s against Germany. They're evil, and they must be opposed. Well, well absolutely. All I teach is what Jeremiah says several times and what Obadiah says Obadiah 15, you know, Eli James loves to teach Obadiah 18 concerning the Edomites. He doesn't really believe it, we'll see that tonight, but he loves to teach Obadiah 18 concerning the Edomites, and he totally ignores Obadiah 15. Obadiah 15 states that all the heathen feeding on Yahweh's holy mountain, which is the children of Israel, Yahweh's holy mountain is the children of Israel, they will be as though they had not been. That's what it says in Obadiah 15. Eli would call that exterminationism. Jeremiah says twice, once in chapter 31, I believe, and once in chapter 45. In, in, in fact, let me pull it up right away. I don't want to get taken off of the pages that I'm on on Bible works. This is an easy one to find. It's only in the Bible twice. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 11, and Jeremiah chapter 46, I'm sorry, verse 28. In both of those verses, Yahweh says, and this is in support of Obadiah 18, in both of those verses, Yahweh says, For I am with thee, saith Yahweh, to save thee, though I make a full end of all nations. Now, nations are people groups, right? And he's talking to the Israelite people group, the Israelite race. I will make a full end of all nations where I have scattered thee. That's exterminationism. That's what Yahweh teaches. That's what the Word of God teaches. He will make a full end of all the nations where he has scattered the children of Israel. But I will not make a full end of thee. But I will connect, correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. And it says the same thing, that's Jeremiah 30, 11. It says basically the same exact thing in Jeremiah 46, 28. And there are other scriptures which support our viewpoint. I'm only teaching the scripture. If you want to go mix with those other nations, and Yahweh says he's going to make a full end of all the nations where you scattered the children of Israel, it's my obligation to tell you the consequences. Am I an exterminationist for that? Back to the clip. There's no need, to, there's no law that says all mongrels will be executed under the law. It just says we shouldn't do that, and if we stop doing that, then there will no longer be any mongrels. There's no need to execute them, and of course, everything that offends will be rooted out. 
Okay? And it doesn't mean defense, it will be rooted out exactly at the judgment day. Now, now Eli just agreed with, with what Clifton and I teach. That's only part of what Clifton and I teach, but Eli just agreed with it. Mongrels are an offense, though. You, you'd concur with me on that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when the tares are tossed into the furnace, yeah. it, it sounds like the furnace is a less than ideal place to be. Well, of course. That's, the, uh, that's where they get destroyed. So the, the, the tares just aren't sent to another bread shop somewhere down the road to mind their own business yeah. and leave the wheat alone. Yeah. Well, uh, certainly, uh, let's say that it's debatable as to whether any partially, you know, let's say a, a white person who's got one-tenth Canaanite blood. Well, then he's not white. Well, uh, okay, the, uh, a lot of people who think they're white may not be white. Th that's unfortunate. <laughs> okay, so so you're saying that Yahweh doesn't care, uh, even though these persons are not guilty of committing any sin except having been brought forth into the world by Two mongrelizing parents. But I would say that their existence is a sin. But they can't be punished for the sins of their parents. Can't they though? Doesn't it say that no. certain sins will be visited on the, well, on the children? We will all be judged by our works. Okay, and the whole the whole situation is obviously we agree. Okay, that uh, the blacks and mongoloids, uh, if if Isaiah thirteen thirteen fourteen can be believed. It says that all these people will go back to their countries of origin. Okay? You want me to read that passage? If you'd like. But sure. I, I've noticed, too, that in Jeremiah, it says, Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Right, right. So well, shall they fall among them that fall at the time I visit them? They shall be cast down, saith Yahweh. And who cannot blush? Well, exactly. I mean, uh, uh, all mongrelization will cease. Okay. Well, all mongrelization will cease because there won't be anybody to mongrelize with. But, but it doesn't say that about blacks and Mongolians. It doesn't say that they will be destroyed. It says, here, let me read Isaiah 13, 13 and 14. Therefore will I shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place, we're talking about the judgment day here, in the wrath of Yahweh of hosts. And in the day of his fierce anger, are we agreed that we're talking about the judgment day here? It sounds that way. It yeah. sure sounds like it, doesn't it? Okay. Verse 14. And it shall be as the chaste roe and as a sheep that no man takes up. They shall every man ish. I-Y-S-H in the Hebrew. You said every, we're in Isaiah what chapter again, sir? This is Isaiah 13, okay. verse 13 and 14. All right. They shall every man ish, which means mortal. Non, it means doesn't. It's not Adam. It's not Adam. There. They shall every man ish turn to his own people and flee everyone to his own land. Okay, we will be given the lands that Yahweh has given us. Okay, I'm going to stop that there. I'm going to rewind it for, for Sword Brethren in a few minutes because he had something to say that he missed an opportunity to say. Let me say this. Eli, you heard, everybody listening just heard Eli say that Isaiah chapter 13, verses 13 and 14 teach that all the other races get to go back to their own land at the time of the end, at the end time.
Now, Isaiah 13 is indeed talking about the fall of Babylon. If Eli wants to interpret this as talking about the fall of Mystery Babylon, which is still in the future, that's fine. Let's do that. And let's read Isaiah 13 and 14. But we're also going to read verses 15 and 16 of the same damn chapter. Eli stops at verse 14. We're going to read verses 15 and 16. Eli, here's Isaiah 13, 13. Therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of Yahweh of hosts. And on a day of his fierce anger, and verse 14, and it shall be as the chased roe, something in pursuit being hunted, right? And as a sheep that no man takes up. They shall every man turn to his own people. Every man shall turn to his own people. And flee every one into his own land. The next two verses determine whether or not they make it. Verse 15. Every one that is found shall be thrust through. And every one that is joined unto them shall fall by the sword. Eli says, oh, they're going to return to their own land and live in peace and prosperity. Everyone that is found shall be thrust through. And everyone that is joined unto them shall fall by the sword. Why the hell doesn't Eli James read the next verse? And let's see the next verse. Verse 16. Their children also shall be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Anybody that listens to Eli James is a turkey. They're being deceived. They're being snake-bitten. Read the whole chapter, Eli. Read the next two verses, you clown. He's a damn deceiver. Their children also, Eli says, and we're going to hear it tonight. We're going to hear Eli James say, oh, it's not the children's fault they're bastards. It's not the children's fault their parents sinned. Here's Isaiah 13, which Eli loves to quote. Verse 15, I'm sorry, verse 16. Their children also shall be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses shall be spoiled and their wives ravished. That doesn't sound like they're going back to their own lands to live happily ever after. Well, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like God's an exterminationist. Yes, it does. And I just wanted to comment, too. Eli on the program with me said every man is judged according to his works. Now, these people aren't under the covenant. They're not under the law. There's no standard by which they can be judged. Every man, not bastards. Paul, in Romans chapter 5, equates that word man, that Greek word anthropos for us, with the word Adam. Does Yahweh have respect for bastards? No. Eli teaches in Ezekiel 18, Ezekiel chapter 18, that the fathers and the sons, that the sons will no longer be punished. The children will no longer be punished for the sins of the fathers. That's what it says in Ezekiel 18. That's true. But Ezekiel 18 is speaking of the children of Israel. Bastards are not the children of Israel. And I'm going to address that later. I want to save that because I have a long passage from Ezra and Nehemiah to read in relation to that. But bastards are not of the children of Israel. Period. A bastard shall not enter the congregation of Yahweh. Not to the tenth generation. Eli is telling us in Ezekiel 18, addressing the children of Israel, that Yahweh is, telling, is talking about bastards? Eli James might be a hypocrite. Yahweh is not a hypocrite. 
Eli James, when somebody, when, when he reads Isaiah chapter 13, why the hell hasn't Greg Howard told him to read the next two verses past where he always stops at verse 14? Greg Howard is a coward. That's why. And everybody that listens to Eli James that doesn't check him on those two verses that he loves to use to promote his eschatology and he stops halfway, everybody that doesn't check him on that are just as deceitful and just as big a coward as Eli James and Greg Howard are. Bill, if we could, could we read the next few verses too, 18, 19, and 20? Be my guest. Their bows also shall dash the young men to pieces, and they shall have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes shall not spare children. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And there was it only shall, Lot and his daughters left, right? It shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation, neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there, neither shall the shepherds make their fold there. So, well, well, the Arabians are bastards, they're mixed, and, and there won't be any damned Arabians to pitch their tents in, in, in Babylon anymore. But if everyone's going back to their lands and where they came from, who's living here if it shall never be inhabited? Well, basically, Eli is misrepresenting the scripture. He is not reading verses 15 and 16. He is stopping at verse 14 and hoping that nobody challenges him on it. It's, no, it's is... absolutely incredible nobody's challenged him on this and asked him to read verses 15 and 16, which are totally contrary to everything that Eli James teaches. So this is just more textbook psychological manipulation where you cut off an opponent's quote and you only reveal the first two or three sentences so it's taken out of context. Like when Hitler said the people are more prone to fall victim to the big lie than the small lie, the, the opponents that quote him try and make him look like a liar talking about how to deceive people. They don't show you the next three sentences where he explains how this is dangerous and how people are deceived. He's warning about deception. He's not talking about how to deceive. So Eli purposefully cuts this off at verse 14. He can't go beyond 14 and keep his theology consistent, can he? Absolutely not. The children don't suffer for the punishment of the, don't, don't get punished for the sins of the fathers. Well, well why in verse 15 and, and 16 do the children also be dashed to pieces? What did they do, Eli? Did you want me to replay any of this last segment? No, I, I got out what I wanted to say. Eli says they're judged according to their works, but I'm not guilty of violating Russian law because I'm not under Russian law. So how can these people be judged under our law, under our covenant? They're not under the covenant, and the law was never given unto them. It's ridiculous to say that they're judged according to their works under our law. They're not under our law. Eli makes some incredible statements in, in, in this clip. He, he talks about, be, about being um, people being more white than Canaanite. He talks about... Um, he, he asked for a law about bastards. All we need is Deuteronomy 23.2. A bastard shall not enter the congregation of Yahweh, even to his tenth generation. He shall not enter into the congregation. You're going to explain this in numerical terms in the next segment. Eli asks if it's the bastard's fault that the parents mongrelized. Now, look at this from, from, from this perspective. Is it a dog's fault that the dog is not a person? 
Is it a monkey's fault that the monkey's a monkey? Why can't he be a human? God can make him a human. God can do anything. Is it a beast's fault that he's a beast? What is a mongrel? A mongrel is something that's not Adam. It's something that's part Adam and part something else. That's what a mongrel is. If we were all Adamic, there would be no mongrels. We would all be kind after kind after Adam, our first father. We would all be in his image. Now, Eli is building an eschatology that basically um, supposes to force God to accept violations of his own law. Eli is telling us that God will accept violations of his own law, where you did raise an excellent point when you said that bastards are in the category of everything that offends. By their very existence, they offend the law. Every sin, every sin against men has evidence. If I break your windows and rob your house, well, your stuff's missing and it's in my house, well, well that's the evidence of my robbery. If I go out and fornicate with a woman who is not Adamic and she has a child, that child is the evidence of my fornication. Well, you know, Bill, in the first example, you could conceivably come to your senses, repair my windows, replace my stuff, or return my stuff, and therefore I say, okay, we're quits, we're good, everything's fine, but you can't put that child back in the womb. But that's why this sin is unforgivable. The child can't be forgiven. There's nothing to forgive. The child's a bastard. It's a, the, the existence of the child is a violation of Yahweh's law. That's why in Jeremiah chapter 2, Yahweh says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Broken cisterns can't be repaired. Not this type of cistern. They can hold no water. That's why Jude and Peter, both of those apostles, in their epistles, talked about wells without water, clouds without water, and compared those. They used those they use those metaphors talking about those people, those men who have stolen in and shared our communion undeservedly. Stains on our feasts of charity. They are clouds without water because they are broken cisterns. They can hold no water. They cannot hold the Spirit of God, which was imparted to our Adamic race. There's no salvation for them for that reason. As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, speaking of Adamic man and nobody else, if there's a natural body, there's a spiritual body. We're planted a physical seed and raised a spiritual seed. It's our DNA that creates the spirit in each of us as individuals, which God imparted to our first father, Adam. 
You either have that DNA or you don't. If you mix that seed, you become a broken cistern. You no longer have that DNA, and there's no putting you back together again. Well, Eli wants to conflate the issue, though, and make it seem that if you exclude from the kingdom the mongrels, that you're punishing them for the sin that their fathers committed or their mothers committed of fornication, and that's just not fair, and God wouldn't punish them for the sins of their parents. They're not being excluded because of their being, you know, some sort of punishment. They're just being excluded because they're not under the covenant. They're not part of the congregation. They're period. not. They're, they're excluded because they're not kind after kind, according to Yahweh's law. They're not Adamic men. It's that simple. They're not Adamic men. They don't have that spirit which God imparted to Adamic man. They're, his law can't be written in their hearts. They're not under the covenant, as you say. The covenant doesn't apply to them. Paul, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 8, says that if you are without chastisement, then you are bastards and not sons. Why, if it didn't matter? If it no longer mattered, why would Paul still distinguish sons and bastards in Hebrews chapter 12? Right. The next clip that we play will establish the fact that Eli James does not understand any of this. Well, I wondered too in Romans 9, hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? So Eli's basically saying that God's not fair because he's excluding them from the kingdom, but who was Eli to question God on the, on the grounds of fairness or unfairness? As Paul says in Romans chapter 9, does the potter, does the clay say to the potter, how did you make me this way? Of course it doesn't. We're going to play the next clip. This next clip is from the same 2011 program that Sword Brethren did with Eli a week after we split. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that we should allow the Jews to live among us anymore. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there's certain white people who have some Edomite or Canaanite blood. But then we can't call them white anymore. But how? Do, okay. <laughs> well, by Yahweh's definition, when he he said in Deuteronomy 23 to the tenth generation, not forever and ever. He was just putting out 10th generation as a number we could wrap our heads around and understand in our mind. And if you calculate out the ancestors that a person has in 10 generations, that would work out to one out of about 1,100. So if one out of 1,100 of your ancestors is something other than Israelite, then you're certainly automatically excluded. So that's an, okay, basically well, right, a, right, a, a, sounds, a, an absolutely sounds, minuscule amount. It sounds like what you're saying is that we don't have to worry about whether the other white people who are now Christians will be attracted to our message or well, not. Can and we I, call what them, I'm saying to can you, we call them Christians? You're always begging the question. Oh, okay, let's pause that right there. Right there, those words from Eli James himself establish that he does not understand Christian Identity 101. Christian Identity 101, Bertrand Compare, Wesley Swift, these men taught that because the, the, the tares, because the evil one had planted tares among the wheat, and this began all the way back in the days of Cain, because the evil one had planted tares among the wheat, that they looked like us. And for that reason, 
we couldn't often tell the wheat apart from the tares, which was certainly true of the apostles in the time of Christ. The apostles in the time of Christ, even though the kingdom was basically half Edomite and half Israelite, and we know that from history, the apostles often couldn't tell the Edomites from the Israelites because they were so mixed, and they marveled at at Christ, and, and John even said that no one had to tell him concerning men because he knew what was in men. Christ, of course, being God incarnate, could tell the wheat from the tares, but we are told that the wheat couldn't be told, told from the tares until the time of the end. The gospel message, the gospel message divided the wheat from the tares in the time of Christ, but physically, they often can't be told apart. We understand that Eli insists on referring to the tares as the other white people. The other white people who happen to be mixed with 10 or 15% Edomite blood, who are now Christians. So we should accept um, Nathaniel Kapner, for instance, the converted Jew, as being a, 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 some of the wheat, or, or is he a tare? And Bill, Eli also said, too, well, you, you just said that Eli fails Identity 101. I'd say he even fails Fundamentalist Protestantism 101. He said, it sounds like what you're saying is that we don't have to worry about whether the other white people who are now Christians will be attracted to our message or not. What that translates to is that we should weaken our message and make it appeal to, you know, we should have a message that appeals to the world and that appeals to men, doctrines of men to appeal to men. And, and then we fail, absolutely. This word, Christ didn't come to send peace, he had come to send a sword. We're told throughout the New Testament scripture that the word of God divides. It doesn't bring people together, it divides people. We have to strive to enter in through the narrow gate. For broad is the path to destruction, and there are many who find it. And all those people who are 10% Canaanite or Edomite, as Eli James, as you just heard him say from his own mouth, all of those people are on that road to destruction. None of them are on a narrow path. And then Eli later will accuse you and Clifton of not loving him when we're instructed to love our brothers. And I'd just like to say, you know, Matthew 10, 34, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword, for I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So Eli says, oh, you, it, it's, it's wrong. How dare, you know, Clifton and Bill call me a heretic? How dare Clifton and Bill deal treacherous with me? They don't love me, and we're instructed to love our brothers. Well, that's sophistry, and that's just a cop-out, because if your brother's preaching heresy, you don't pat him on the head and tell him, good job. Well, well, absolutely not. He's not my brother. He's embracing the other races. Christ only came for the lost sheep of Israel. Christ says that when he returns, he will gather only the children of Israel, the scattered children of Israel from the east, from the west, from the north, and the south. Well, Christ also says, he who is not gathering with me scatters. If you attempt to gather squat monsters and 15% Canaanites and Mexicans, as we will see in an, in, in an Eli clip 
before the end of this program, if you attempt to gather them to the body of Christ, you're not gathering with Christ. You are scattering. You're scattering because you're bringing wolves into the sheepfold. Well, you know, that, that was one thing Hitler pointed out, too, a great criticism he had of Western Christianity at the time. They were losing the heartland of Europe to secularism, atheism, Darwinism, and communism, but they congratulated themselves, and they were elated that they were converting all these hot and pots and Bushmen and setting up churches in the Congo. And now they're raping girls in Minnesota, those hot and tots and Bushmen. Right, and, and maybe that's just something interesting there, that Eli has always condemned you for supporting national socialism and trying to, quote, Nazify CI, but he's always... You know, I mean, ingratiating himself with the National Socialist Movement, and that's that's purely to advance the movement. There's nothing self-serving about it. Well, well, right, but the truth is, I really don't support National Socialism. I support the understanding of National Socialism as a healthy Christian political system. Right. So we try and teach the historical truths about Germany in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, and we get condemned for it. Well, well Eli right. has, he has criticized me for, for my Mein Kampf Project website, which is practically the most popular Adolf Hitler National Socialist related website in the world. It, it's one it's right up there. The Mein Kampf Project website would be in the Alexa it would be in the top quarter million on Alexa by itself in the Alexa rankings. It gets over six hundred visits a day by itself. Now now Eli has always condemned me for that website. I have had a whole lot of people come to Christian identity and, and some of them are in my forum today through the Mein Kampf website. They've come to an understanding of, of proactive, of positive Christianity, and then of Christian identity. Right. But Eli wants to say that it's just self-serving and you're trying to Nazify CI, but it's okay when he parades around Chicago waving a swastika. Well, well, right. Eli has attended NSM rallies, and I've never done that. And that shows that Eli James is little but a hypocrite. Whatever is right, whatever fits the time and, and the moment, that's what he'll profess. I'm going to play the rest of this. Well, I don't know about the rest of it, but I'm going to wind it back, and we're going to start from the beginning. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that we should allow the Jews to live among us anymore. I'm not saying that. Mm. I'm saying that there's certain white people who have some Edomite or Canaanite blood. But then we can't call them white anymore. But how do, Okay. <laughs> Well, by Yahweh's definition, when he, he said in Deuteronomy 23 to the 10th generation, not forever and ever, he was just putting out 10th generation as a number we could wrap our heads around and understand in our mind. And if you calculate out the ancestors that a person has in 10 generations, that would work out to one out of about 1,100. So if one out of 1,100 of your ancestors is something other than Israelite, then you're certainly automatically excluded. So that's an, okay, basically well, right, a... a, a an absolutely minuscule amount. It sounds like what you're saying is that we don't have to worry about whether the other white people who are now Christians will be attracted to our message or well, not. And we I, call what them, I'm saying to you, we call them Christians. You're always begging the question. I, I know I am, but that's a that's a serious question. What what, what do we call them? Those in churchianity Jesus who said, worship the image of the beast. Jesus said. Feed my sheep. It didn't say, feed my sheep who agree with me. But aren't we doing that? Aren't we trying to feed the sheep? We don't want to feed well, them. Well, of course we're trying to. But what I'm saying is that this 
this proposition that Bill and Clifton have concocted is going to drive the sheep away. You understand what I'm saying? Well, it's not universalism. I'm not including any non-whites in, in our flock. Absolutely not. I'm just saying, though, if this were a message for the world, the world would be drawn to it, and typically most people hate the truth. Let, let me say that Eli claimed not to be drawing any non-whites into our flock, but he has attempted to redefine what is white. He has actually said here, white people that are 10 or 15% Canaanite, which 10 or 15% Canaanite, you're entirely right, Brian, are not white. They're tares. They don't fall into the sheep category. We don't want to feed those people. He's already attempted this once to redefine white. This is the second time, and if you um, play it through, I think we will hear the third time where he attempts this. So yeah, it's not yeah that some... should be three strikes for anybody who, who's a sincere identity Christian who listens to him. And we're going to play the rest of it now. Well, aren't we instructed to feed the sheep and, and hunt? And aren't fish? we doing that? That we're feeding them the truth. Well, we yeah, don't but, feed, we don't but, feed them things they want to hear. Yeah, but if you're teaching them a lie, you know, uh, put aside the Mamzer issue. If we're teaching them the lie, and this is what Bill and Clifton are saying, if we're teaching them the lie that all non-whites will be destroyed at the Judgment Day, so many good white people who would come to our cause will just be rebuffed and repulsed by that idea. Now, maybe it's true, but they haven't proved it that it's true. I, I haven't proved that it's true by, by citing... Um... Obadiah chapter 15, verse 15, it says that they will be as though they had not existed. Well, what does Jeremiah mean? I want to know what Jeremiah means when he says, when Yahweh says through the prophet, on two occasions, not on one, that I will make a full end of all the nations. Now, nations are not geographical territories. Nations are not governments in the Bible. Nations are people groups. Nations are tribes of people. I will make a full end of all the nations where I have sent thee, where I have scattered thee, speaking to Israel. Where are the children of Israel not scattered? And he says, but I will not make a full end of thee. Yes. Which, again, shows double what he means. Right, but according to Eli, the, the fornicators, the Adamites, they should be ended for their sin, but the bastard offspring, they can't be punished for their sins, so they can, they can just come into the congregation and live in the city. Well, well, the goats go into the fire because they're goats, not because they were evil. They go into the fire because they're goats. Well, you know, if you have wheat and tares growing up in your field, and you can identify the tares, you don't harvest it along with the wheat and bring it into the, you know, you don't serve it up for dinner. Right. You toss it aside. Let's continue. Well, why would they be repulsed, though? Do they have, do they, um... Do they have well, more well, love for about... these? Do they have more love for these congoids over in the jungles than they do for the message of Yeshua? How are they going to be converted if the message is one of hatred? We're supposed to I... love our brethren, whether they agree with us or not. Hold it, hold it. We do love our brethren, but we love our white brethren, and we're not looking to convert anybody that doesn't belong. We're not looking to convert. 10% um, Canaanites. How are they supposed to be converted if the message is one of hatred? How? Why should we convert them to Christian identity if we're going to preach what they teach in Judeo-Christianity? 
let me finish. Or let Eli finish. Absolutely. Right. But that, doesn't, that doesn't mean we water down the message to make it more palatable for them. Well, Thank you, Brian. But what's the message? The message is separation, not extermination. That's, no what, one, that's the point I'm making. I've never called for extermination, and I won't call for that. And I've never heard anybody message, in our circle call let, for that. Let so. me say this one more time, Brian. This concocted message that Bill and Clifton have come up with says, we're not going to destroy the non-whites. Yahweh is going to destroy the non-whites because, quote-unquote, he did not plant them. Well, if Yahweh wants to do that, that's his prerogative. Well, of course it's I, his I prerogative. I don't we know. Put, we cannot put words in his mouth if that's not what he said. I don't know exactly how things are going to play out. I do know that, of course, since it's written word for word, there's definitive no argument can be made about it. The Edomites are all going to be burnt. Period. Right. Okay. All right. I'm still, all I'm doing is raising the issue that some white people have a limited amount of Canaanite blood. And we can't call them white, though. That's the fundamental issue. Uh, well, okay. Uh, okay. So any mamzer, to whatever extent, uh, you, you can't accept any mamzer, to, even if it's one gene in a thousand or one gene in a million. How could we then? They wouldn't be God's creation. Well, again, here's my point. Here's my point. They are not the ones guilty of the mamzerization. It's their parents. Okay. That's unfortunate. All I'm saying, all I'm saying listen to me. All I'm saying is they will be allowed to die off on their own, as all mamzers would. It's not necessarily the case that they will be exterminated on the judgment day. That's all I'm saying. Okay, I understand that view, but if they're put in their own corner of the world... They'll perpetuate their mixed race by continuing to breed incessantly. No, they won't. Because here, here we're going to pause this a second. That this end is real bad. But but here we've seen Brian. We've seen Eli try to redefine white three times and try to count people with with ten or fifteen percent or whatever percentage of Edomite blood as white. Well, it's clearly not a mistake on his part. And some of his supporters say he misspoke. Um, I caught him by surprise. He caught me by surprise. Yeah, yeah, right. He caught you by surprise, and 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 you held his feet to the fire and and, and stood your ground. And and I was proud of that. I really was. I wasn't expecting to have to correct him three times on that issue because I've been doing shows with him since 2007. I thought we were on the same page, and he at least knew everything I knew. Yeah, you know, Brian, I don't despise you for your young age, or I wouldn't work with you. But it's a damn shame when a man who claims to be two-seed-line Christian identity for for 30-something years, in his own words, I don't, I'm not saying it's true, but it's his words, who who is over, well over 60 years old, has to be corrected in CI 101 by by a young man who's what 24 at a time, right? That's a disgrace. That there's a lot of things I could be wrong about. There's a lot of things that you could probably correct me about. L little dates and 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 scenes of battles and and there's a lot. We can't all have the same facts in our heads. None of us can have all the facts in our heads. But I'll be damned. If I'm going to continue doing what I do and be corrected on basic, basic biblical doctrine by a 24-year-old, I'm going to quit. I'm going to, it's time to quit. It's time to retire. It's time to say, I'm sorry, I'm a screw-up, and, and maybe I'm just not fit for this. But he doesn't do that. He doubles down. 
He doubles down because he's arrogant and he's pushing an agenda. He's pushing an agenda to get people, to get Christian identity, to accept people that are 15 or 20% Canaanite. And he pushed that agenda through your entire program, and you wouldn't stand for it. And that's largely why that was the last program he and I have ever done. Well, well, absolutely. Well, I, I can't have someone on a show where the title has come out of her, and we're teaching come out of Babylon, and he's teaching embrace Babylon. Well, well, basically that's what he's doing. He, he is he, he is causing he, he is 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 attempting to teach as legitimate the errors that we've been making for, for two thousand years in accepting the tares as the possibility, with the possibility that they could be wheat. In, in, in relativizing what, what is good and what is evil, and, and in making subjective what is white and what is not. And what is not. Well, well, fundamentally, we're told, for without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. He doesn't want them without. He wants to bring them in. Absolutely. There's no doubt. He wants to bring them with him. What, what does it matter? What, what does the scripture, what does Deuteronomy 23 to matter? What is, um, what, what does Zechariah 14.21 matter? There will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of Yahweh of hosts. What, what does Obadiah 18 matter? Esau will be stubble. It doesn't say that anybody who's at least 85% Esau will be stubble. It says that Esau will be stubble. There will be well, none left of the house of Esau. You need the addendum, you know, the, the um, added version. It's expanded. It says, and the angels went around conducting DNA tests on everyone, and anybody who was not at least 85% Israelite was cast in the difference. Well, well, right. That's absolutely absurd. It doesn't say that the, 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 earth, that the world is split between the almost wheat and the almost tares. And I noticed, too, his pseudoscience, he clearly doesn't understand genetics. He says that they will just breed themselves out and die over time. There's, there's no basis for that in history. There's no precedent. Well, well absolutely not. If Eli's um, bastard theory was true, that bastards can't multiply, which is what he claims, we wouldn't have Arabs today. We wouldn't have Egyptians. We wouldn't have Sicilians. Most of Portugal would be empty. We would not have Turks. We would not have people in Iraq and Iran. India would be a barren wasteland. Well, well, it is a barren wasteland. I'm sorry, but it's populated. India would be an empty sewer. Well, Eli counters that, though, when he says that they've, um, they steal our genes every few thousand years to keep going. And I pointed out, well, then this mixing would continue on in your kingdom here. You know, if the Mexicans just go back to Mexico and they border our kingdom here in North America, assuming we get to keep North America, I don't know, we might have to go back to Europe or, you know, Scythia and Sarmatia, who knows. But, you know, I, I don't know if we're going to play this in the clip, but he invents this new doctrine that we will be restored and prevented from mixing, because I said we'll be prevented from mixing because there will be no one to mix with because they're gone, thrown in the furnace. And he said, no, 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 we'll be prevented from mixing because our Shekinah glory is restored. And I said, well, Eve had that and she mixed. And Eli said, well, yeah, she was deceived. And I said, so what's to stop us from being deceived? And he said, we'll have learned our lessons over these thousands of years. It's all circular. It doesn't require a shred of evidence. Well, well it is all circular. If one Eve... You know, in the garden, 
Now, now, this is another thing Eli does, and it's in his writing. It's not in these tapes, and I'm sorry I didn't pull it out. But Eli has claimed that he's challenged me on who Cain married, and he stumped me. And that is a damnable lie. Eli James couldn't stump me on anything about the Bible or history. Nothing. Eli James claimed he challenged me on who Cain's wife was, and he stumped me, and that's a damned lie. Eli says, oh, the Rephaim, that they weren't mentioned until Genesis chapter 6. In the garden, there were two trees. There was the tree of life. That's the race of Christ. There's the tree, the tree. It's an entire race. It's not just one serpent. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is a fallen race, and they're called angels in Scripture. But they're all permeating the garden, and Yahweh did not put them in the garden. The only explanation is that there's a race of fallen angels represented by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's easy to see where Cain could have gotten a wife from. Right, and you know, this isn't the first time he's seriously misrepresented somebody, which even, you know, this movement aside, if he were committing such egregious offenses in academia against other professors, they would probably fire him from the university. I recall in his Beasts of the Field paper, he claimed that Dan Gaiman supported his view and that Dan Gaiman no longer believed what he had written in Do All Races Share in Salvation and that, indeed, Dan Gaiman's new view was that the Bible does tell us about the origins of the other races. However, when I contacted Dan Gaiman to inquire about this book, he told me that not a word in that book has changed and he stands by every word and that he did have a conversation with Eli, but at no time did he tell Eli his position had changed from the book. So Eli picked a long list of identity people, mostly who are dead and we can't contact, you know, Swift, Comparay, I think Emery and some others, and he listed them. And then he picked some obscure people who aren't really online. They have no Internet presence. And he figured, well, they can't email this guy because he's not online. So he picked Dan Game and tossed him in a, a list of people who agree with his pseudo position. And he figured that no one would ever be able to call him on it because we wouldn't be able to contact Dan Gaiman. But I did call Dan Gaiman, and we wrote about it at the time. I, I spoke about it, and we addressed the issue. And I, I could even read Dan Gaiman's book if you'd want me to. Well, well, no, it, it's I don't because only because that it's we, we don't have the full argument to exposit here tonight, and right. and, and it's um I, I'd rather stick to things where we where we have solid meat prepared. That right. is um. You know, Eli has very often, and this is what really caused the rift between Eli and I, was not, it was not on whether or not God created the other races as beasts of the field. That did not cause the rift between Eli and I. That I attempted to explain in the Christagenia overview on Genesis chapter 2, which is still posted on my website to this day. What did cause the rift was Eli's asking me to critique his Beast of the Field paper. And when I pointed out to him many times that he misrepresented the words of not only myself, and he did misrepresent me once in that paper, but many times the words of Clifton Emmerheiser. And when I pointed that out to Eli and he did not correct it, that was the, that, that precipitated our split. That cemented it because Eli had hardened himself against even talking this over like a gentleman. And he came to my house and he spent 
probably about 18, 20 hours at my house and, and made every excuse not to talk to me while he was at my house. He avoided talking to me. He stayed upstairs for two hours talking to my mother and grandmother when he should have been downstairs in my office talking to me about this, and he refused. Well, he's clearly been caught repeatedly misrepresenting other people's positions, putting words in other people's mouths, inventing straw man arguments, and then arguing against those. And that's all very dishonest. It's not becoming from someone who, he says we're to love our brothers, but how is he loving us if he's creating positions that we have not articulated and then arguing against these false creations? Well, well Eli James sought me out in prison. And he sought me out, and when he finally found a way to reach me, he explained that he loved my work, he, had, he, he liked it a lot, he read my papers, blah, 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 blah. If Eli ever read my papers, he should have read Broken Cisterns. If he'd have read Broken Cisterns, he would have understood. And, and it's a two-part series, and they're probably the most popular essays on, on the Bible that I've written in identity circles, and if he'd have read Broken Cisterns, he'd have understood that I would never budge on a race issue, and and I would never accept his view of, of something being 85% white and 15% Canaanite being acceptable. He'd have understood that. He'd have also understood that I taught, and I still do to this day, that the source, the origin of the non-white races lies in the fallen angels, and I wrote that in Broken Cisterns Part 2 in 2004, and Clifton published it. 2004 I wrote that, and I still teach it today, and I can still defend my position today. And I suppose Eli's never read anything from the SB Christogenia blog. May I read a, a paragraph here that I, I wrote almost a year before I did that show with Eli, so he had ample time to read this and know what my views were. Well, well absolutely. I'm going to play the next clip. I'm going to play part four. I'm going to play the whole thing. I'm not going to comment on it because the good part is really at the end. We have seen Eli James tonight take the words of the Canaanite woman and make a Christian doctrine out of them. Here we will see that Eli takes the words of the king of Nineveh, which Jonah records in Jonah chapter three. These are not the words of God. These are the words which Jonah records from a declaration of the king of Nineveh. And Eli right. makes another Christian doctrine out of them. And before we'll play you, that right now. Uh, I'm sorry, do you have... Yeah, before you get into that, I just wanted to read one quick thing from my blog. Sure. Quote, I don't care if some 164th Indian is offended or if some pagan is upset that we won't accept his one 128th Mexican wife. We are not going to let their tainted seed be accepted into our community so they can taint our pure seed. We will maintain the purity of our seed so we have true heirs of the covenant, children fit to bear Yahweh's standard and to advance his will here on earth. The pagans will follow the way of the Egyptians and the Portuguese, and the others who failed to zealously guard their purity. We will follow the way of Yahweh and remain true always. So clearly, Eli doesn't support those words. No, well, no, because he's trying to make white people out of people that are 10 and 15% Canaanite. They're not white, and, and they can never be accepted as white. And this is very important. Once you make what is white subjective, it's a slippery slope. Where do you, where do you set the limit? Do you set it at 15%? Well, what about somebody who's 20%? What about somebody who's 25%? If you Arbitrary. accept somebody that's 25% Canaanite, why can't you accept a half-breed mulatto? 
Why can't you accept somebody that's half black? It becomes arbitrary. It's God's law that counts. Eli quantified your position as what you say. You were only reporting what the Bible says. Right. So Eli said, well, according to you, then fine. You can't accept one in 1,100. Well, it, it's not according to me. It's according to God. Absolutely. So he, he equates, when I'm reading God's words, and they don't agree with him, suddenly it's my opinion. But when he's reading the Canaanite woman's words, it becomes Christian doctrine. Right, right. and that's absolutely dishonest. It's absolutely dishonest. Okay, here's the fourth clip. That this is the coward, Greg Howard, talking to Eli James about Jonah chapter 3, for the most part. Chapter 18. But first, uh, please read Jonah verses 4 through 10, because these are very important and, in my opinion, utterly refute the contention that all non whites will be exterminated. Okay? And are irredeemable. Okay? Please. Jonah 3, 4 through 10, right? Yes. Okay. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed Elohim, and proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, nor let them feed nor drink water. Okay, now that word beast is translated from the Hebrew word behemoth. Okay. Okay. And as all two seed liners have been saying, the, the beast of the field, the beast of the earth, whether translated from behema or che, is a reference when the context demands it, is a reference to hominids, two-legged beasts, okay? And the fact that we're talking about two-legged beasts here, not Adamites, but in addition, neither man, and which I would expect to be translated from number 120. I don't know if you have your concordance handy. I didn't look this one up. But I would expect man here to be translated from Adam, either 119 or 120. Okay. Yeah, I'll look it up here. But beast is definitely translated from behemoth. Okay, so we're talking about two types of hominids here. Okay, and let me just say here, uh, because there's dispute within identity whether we should refer to non-whites as human beings and include uh, Adamites uh, in that category. Well, let me put it this way. Obviously, all Adamites are hominids. And the term human being is a synonym for hominids, but not all hominids are atomites, okay? The atom kind is a separate entity unto itself. The Bible says the Bible is all about the atomites, and that we're supposed to stay separate from all these other hominids. That's what the Bible teaches, and every two-seed liner who has ever existed has taught that, okay? So, that is Strong's uh, number 120. Okay. So let me... Verse 3... Uh, Okay, so the proper translation of this verse would then be, let neither Adamites nor hominids, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed nor drink water. So they're to go on a fast. 
Human, right? Right, troublemaker, you got that right. Human means colored. The colored people, the behemoth people, and the Adamites are to go on a fast. This is commanded from the king of Nineveh. Please continue. Uh, verse 8. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily unto Elohim. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way, and from the violence that is in their hands. Now, this verse is extremely important. Because yes. we are talking about both Adamites and the humans, the colored people, the non-Adamite hominids, okay? So what, what's it saying? Let both the Adamites and the non-Adamites be covered with sackcloth. Greg, would it, you it cover a... Like, yeah, yeah, it seems unlikely that he would command their livestock to be covered right. with sackcloth. Are there cows, their dogs, their cats? Yeah, I don't think so. No, they're not capable of repenting. They have any Remember, going back to the beast in the garden, mm-hmm. Eve had a conversation with that guy. Okay? This, this beast was very intelligent. They were talking about Yahweh's laws, and he was trying to tell her that Yahweh's laws can't be broken without any uh, after effect. Okay, we pause for Brian. Brian has something to say. So, yes, Brian. Well, what a... What a horrible thing to say, you know, about cats, dogs, horses, etc. Can they repent? What do they need to repent for? They're animals. They're, they're not under the law. They're not obligated to have burnt offerings and sacrifices and ritual cleanliness. So th- this is just sophistry and obfuscation. It's distraction. Well, well, first, no matter what we want to believe about these beasts, if we want to believe that they're two-legged hominids or four-legged beasts of burden, it doesn't matter to Christian doctrine because these are the words of the king of Assyria. They're not the words of God. We don't create doctrine from the understanding of a pagan king of Assyria. Right. And Eli doesn't even understand repentance. On on another show, I don't know if we're going to play the clip, but he declared, quote, if the sacrifice on the cross got rid of sin, it forgave all our sins, then what is the point of repentance? End quote. That's that, a joke. That, that's a laugh. Well, well, right. There's a lot of jokes in this. Another joke is, is the idea that these, well, well, first, these certainly can be beasts of burden, which were decorated very ornately in the ancient world, Okay. Very gaudily and very ornately. Their camels, their oxen were decorated. Some of them even wore gold and were decorated with gold. Yes, it's a vanity. Now, if Eli wants to insist, I would say say that there are times where non-Adamic peoples or mixed peoples are certainly, and, and this can be demonstrated, are certainly referred to as beasts in Old Testament scripture. But those words always come from Hebrews or from the words of God. And the term beast, in reference to non-Adamic people or to mixed people, that term is not a biological identification, and it is not a, 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 um, an identification of kind in Scripture. It's a pejorative. It's like what I call Eli James a clown. I don't mean that he dresses in, in colorful clothing and puts on a red nose and big shoes and goes out to the circus. 
and, and performs for people. That's not what I mean when I call Eli James a clown. I'm using the word clown as a pejorative. It's a word that by itself is not to be taken as, as a slur. But used a word used in certain contexts that's not really a slur, but is used as a slur, like when Christ called the Canaanite woman a dog. That was a pejorative. There's nothing wrong with the dog object. A dog is an animal. But when you use that term to a person, it becomes a slur. And for that reason, that's what a pejorative is. It's called a pejorative, a word that's not typically a slur that in certain contexts is denigrating. Okay? So there are times when non-Adamic people in Scripture are considered beasts. But it's not a religious designation. It's not a designation of kind. It's simply a pejorative. It's like looking at a, at, at a Negro today with his pants down around his ankles, talking all kinds of foul language and saying, he's an animal. Well, well, the word animal is not a slur by itself, but when we point to a person and say, he's an animal, that's a pejorative. That is how the word beast is used in scripture of people, as a pejorative. It's not an right. identification of kind. That's ridiculous. Eli James is making it an identification of kind so that he can squeeze them into the Genesis creation in Genesis 1.25. Well, here, here is, here is the deceit. The absolute fundamental deceit of Eli James is that he wants to take these other races and say that they were created as beasts in Genesis, but when we get to the New Testament, they're suddenly people. That's a Jew bait and switch. That's the tactic of the Jew merchants from Canal Street in New York. You go in for a 28-inch color TV for 300 bucks. You walk out with a 19-inch black and white TV for 500. That's called a bait and switch. They want to get you into store so they can sell you a lie. Eli James gets you into the store by selling the other races as beasts in Genesis 125, and all of a sudden in the book of Revelation they're people? How could they be men if they're beasts? Beyond that, Bill, they're not just people, they're nations. So they've gone from beasts to people to nations. So they've evolved. Eli James is selling people a bill of goods. If they're beasts in the Old Testament, fine. The law of God is kind after kind. They've got to be beasts in Deuteronomy. They've got to be beasts in, in Ezekiel. They've got to be beasts in Jeremiah. They've got to be beasts all the way through to the book of Jude, to the epistle of Jude. And you know what Jude says about people that aren't Israelites who are eating amongst us and, and enjoying the fruits of our communion unworthily? Jude says that they're evil beasts made to be taken and destroyed. There's your beasts in Scripture. There's your beasts in the Old Testament. There's your beasts in eschatology. They're evil beasts made to be taken and destroyed. The words of the apostle. Does that sound like exterminationism? 
yeah, this this topic gets me keyed up because Eli James is a damn liar, and I don't care how many lies Eli James spouts. What I care about is all the white fools who make apologies for him. Sonny Eames. That's just one Eli defender. So if we're making a list then of people who support Eli's position and or, or let's say he's making some of the lists, so he picks people who are dead, who can't, you know, count or being put on his list. On our side, we would have the uh, Apostle, Jude, and then God. So the exterminationist camp, it, it's looking better and better, although we should probably have a better title than the exterminationist camp because that's the term he's labeling us with. So he, he's, in a sense, he's poisoning the well. Before the debate even begins, he slanders us as exterminationists tainting the minds of the audience against us. It's, it's textbook psychological manipulation. It's, it, it's, te- it's right out of the Frankfurt School. It, it's right out of the Talmud. Well, that, that's what the, um, the authoritarian personality, that whole theory, it allows you to dismiss your opposition as psychiatric misfits. Oh, we, we don't need to counter you conservatives. We don't have to address policy point by point. We can just brand you all as authoritarian personalities, and we don't have to address anything you say because we've just slandered you with a label. Well, well absolutely. And Eli James will get away with it as long as it's only me and Clifton Emmerheiser who are sounding the trumpet on this deceiver. It's easy to demonize Fink or Finkaheiser when they're the only ones pointing out my deceit. And, and all the other Christian identity, all the other so-called two seed line Christian identity pastors who do not point out, who do not listen to this program and point out and join us in pointing out Eli James's treachery, well, his blood, the blood that he spills is on their hands. Because if you're going to tell, if you're going to tell little Susie that her little bastard Mexican is going to go back to Mexico and live happily ever after, you're not going to keep little Susie out of bed with Pedro and Jose. It ain't going to happen. Now, are you talking about Jose in general or the Jose Eli evangelizes to later in the program? Well, we'll we'll see that later in the program. Let's finish this clip. Let's let Greg Howard let Eli James get away with his universalism some more. You know, Bill, interestingly, though, you mentioned the Mexicans going back to Mexico. On the show where Eli and I were debating or discussing, and he said they can go back to where they came from because they're not hybrids. I first got him to agree that hybrids get tossed into the furnace because anything that the Heavenly Father did not plant is thrown in the furnace. And then when he said the Mexicans can go back to Mexico, the Turks go back to Turkey, the um, Southeast Asians go back to Indochina, the Arabs go back to Arabia, I went through it point by point and showed, well, the Mexicans are a hybrid race. They weren't planted. The Arabs are a hybrid race. The Turks are a hybrid race. And it got to the point where there was no one left to go back anywhere because I showed through history and migrations and mixing and conquests that all these people Eli is talking about are clearly hybrids. Absolutely. So he doesn't understand He doesn't understand the history of the Middle Ages. He doesn't understand history in the last 2,000 years. He just doesn't understand history. Well, well right, and it can be proven from the history of the last 4,000 years that nearly all of the so-called other races have mixed in, especially with whites, even in China. They have been mixed with each other, with whites, with, with um. Look at India. All those people are mixed. Look at the Asian subcontinent. All those people are mixed. 
the Negroes in Africa, they've been raping each other. There's very distinct um, tribes of Negroes in Africa, but they've been raping each other's wives and mixing with each other for, for, for thousands of years. The same thing in South America. In South America, it's a sport. I think his theory was that if Hutus mix with Tutsis, it doesn't matter because they're all black. So they can mix with they can mix ethnically but not racially. Right. Yeah, yeah. Troublemaker makes a good point. I mean, the beast. You the beast are could cry out, The beast could repent. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, re- beasts that repent do not get eternal life. They don't become Israelites. It, it's crazy to even think such a thought. There's no basis for it whatsoever. Even though, in essence, that is what the Judeo-Christian world believes, there's no basis for it in the scriptures anywhere to think that anyone other than a true Israelite can truly repent and turn to Yahweh right. and have their eternal life. Right, right. The so, promises are, are totally different, totally different. And uh, I'm not going to unmute the guest because I have a prepared statement. William Fink went to a lot of time and trouble to produce a video without my consent, without my input, and I have I deserve a chance to rebut without his input, okay? Now, now let me address that right here. That is a huge lie. I have never produced a video. The first video I ever produced was for TrueTube TV a week ago when I took some pictures of my 2012 trip and put them together with my um, program that I did when the ADL tried to shut down Christagenia. That's the first video that I ever produced. Eli James knew damned well that I did not produce that video. I know that he knew, and I can prove that he knew. Because the gentleman that produced the video wrote Eli James and asked him to stop giving me credit for producing his video. I never produced that video, but Eli would get a lot more mileage blaming me for the video than he would blaming the man that produced it, who is not a Christian identity teacher or writer. He, he's only another man who's disgusted with the universalism of Eli James and felt betrayed by Eli's sudden calumny and treachery. So that gentleman produced the video, and Eli has blamed it on me ever since, even when Eli was told that I didn't do it. And this podcast, which Eli did with Greg Howard, was months after Eli was told that I did not produce the video by the man that produced it. So Eli purposely continued a lie in order to blame me and to demonize me. I demand that every every trial uh, uh, allows an opening statement, and that's what this is. Okay, so let's continue. So, at the beginning of verse eight, but let every Adamite and every non-Adamite biped be covered with sackcloth. You're not going to cover your animals with sackcloth, and sackcloth is the traditional uh, garment for mourning and repentance in Scripture. Okay, so please continue. Uh, I'm sorry, we're in that same... Uh, uh, yeah, we're, uh, yeah, we're going over... Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, All right, verse 9. Oh, okay, oh, no, I'm sorry. Please continue with it when verse 8 after the word sackcloth. Okay. Yes. I'll just read the whole verse. But okay. let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, 
and cry mightily unto Elohim. Okay, now can four-legged beasts cry to uh, cry to God? Certainly, I, I don't think so. No, <laughs> we're definitely talking about hominids of other races here. No doubt about it. Please continue with this verse. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way. Wow. These beasts can turn from their evil ways. How about that, folks? This is a total refutation of Finkenheimer's contention that the non-whites can do no good. Now, now that's not a total refutation because that's the words of the king of Assyria. Yahweh demanded that the men of Nineveh repent. So the king of Assyria issued a proclamation ordering man and beast to wear sackcloth and to repent. Yahweh, the king of Assyria, was a pagan. Yahweh didn't care about the beasts in Assyria. He commanded that the men of Nineveh repent. If the beasts just so happen to repent too, well, well that's only um, a collateral benefit. But that wasn't the word of God. That was the word of the king of Nineveh. Just like Eli attempted to make Christian doctrine out of the words of the Canaanite woman, here he attempts to make Christian doctrine out of the words of the king of Nineveh. That is so, not honest biblical exegesis. So when I quote the words of God, it's my opinion and it's dismissed as heavy-handed, but he wants to make doctrine from the Canaanite woman and the king of Assyria. Right. Total reputation. Uh, please continue. All right. Let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Okay. Now, the violence was in the hands of both the beasts and the Adamites. Right? And, well, it's uh, safe to say the beasts have violence in their hands. Yes. And, right. and there are times when we do as well. But here a situation in the uh, country of Nineveh that the, the Assyrian commander here was more than likely a white man descended from Asher who was, uh, I believe, a Shemite, if not, uh, either a Shemite or a Japhethite. I forget the genealogy. But uh, typically of all of these ancient nations, the rulers were white men. And the nation declined as they continued to bring non-whites in. Okay, nevertheless, this verse 8 says that these beasts with hands who are able to cry out to the Lord, and if they're able to pray to Yahweh, to the extent that they can conceive of any God, okay, let them turn everyone from his evil way, it should be their evil way, and from the violence that is in their hands. So this verse 8 absolutely proves that beasts, have hands and feet, can cry out to the Lord, and can repent, and can return, uh, give up their evil ways. But they were under the dominion of a white man, a white Assyrian. This right. Is the, right. And what they do, that seems, you yeah. know. They can't do it unless they're under our dominion. Okay. Going back to Isaiah 13, verses 12 through 14, which states the same thing. Genesis 4, 7, which Yahweh says to Cain, If thou do well, thou wilt find thyself approved. Was Yahweh lying, folks? Who's lying? 
Yeah, you know, what Yahweh did with Cain was he challenged him to do well. Just like John the Baptist challenged the Pharisees to do well, produce fruits worthy of repentance. Just like Paul challenged Herod to do well. Doesn't mean they're going to. Yeah, right, it doesn't mean they're going to. What did Cain do once he was challenged to do well? He went right out and killed Abel. The next verse, he killed Abel. There's no way Cain could have done well, and Yahweh knew it. The challenge is to understand the scriptures and the mystery of iniquity that it is genetic. While we Israelites surely can sin, the other races will never be attributed as righteous by Yahweh. Only Israel is cleansed from sin. For that reason, Yahweh has chosen, has predestined whom he would determine was righteous and whom he wouldn't. But the other races, and and especially that line of Cain, they are forever challenged by God to do good, and they always, always fail. That's a lesson we should learn from. That's the lesson we should learn from. Eli would want us to learn that maybe they can possibly do good, even though they've never, ever done it. The lesson that we have to learn is that they're genetically corrupt and can't possibly ever do good. Yahweh or Bill and Clifton. Okay, and please continue now with verse 9. Who can tell if Elohim will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And Elohim saw their works, that they turned away from their evil way. And Elohim repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. Okay, because they repented, that includes the beasts and the Adamites, he did not punish Nineveh at that time. This is to me, a foreshadowing of... There he goes again. Yahweh didn't command the beasts to repent. He only commanded the men of Nineveh to repent. He spared Nineveh because the men of Nineveh repented. He didn't spare Nineveh on account of the beasts the judgment day when all races will be judged according to what whether they do evil and repent or whether or or is this going to judge them based on whether they're hybrids or not does this verse say anything about judging hybrids over non-hybrids no it does not okay now let's go yes now, now notice that Eli injects hybrids into the in, into the argument here, and there's no mention of mamsers at all. Well, in Jonah we chapter three, we don't need to have a mention there that says in the hybrids were judged according to this, according to that. They're not part of the judgment. Judgments for the congregation. First, uh, please read Jonah verses. Oh, I'm sorry. That's that. That was the end of the tape. That, that that was the end of the segment, and, and when I hit play, it restarted it again. It already ended, that, and I didn't realize it. That the um, you know, what Eli also did in that segment is, on one hand, he calls the serpent a beast in the garden in that segment, and elsewhere 
Eli insists that the serpent that seduced Eve is a supernatural Satan. Now, now in papers on his website, check out on AngloSaxonIsrael.com basics for understanding Yahweh's kingdom. Well, what is it? And many times, Eli insists that Cain's father was a fallen angel whom he calls Satan, with a capital S. And that this Satan is in both the spiritual and physical realm. So that's not a mere beast, according to Eli's other writing. But here, Eli insists that Eve was seduced by a beast in the garden. Can't be both. No, no, it can't be both. What is it? Well, it doesn't matter because Eli will will make anything he wants up at any time as long as it it fits the the um, situation that he requires. Well, that's not the mark of a scholar. That's the mark of a dishonest hypocrite. Well, well right. Eli, you know, it's the king of Assyria who says that the beasts have to repent. That's not the words of God. Again, Eli takes as doctrine the words of the king of Assyria and claims that it's a foreshadowing of the judgment day. Yeah, I'll tell you how it foreshadows the judgment day. Men, like the king of Assyria, men, like Eli James, want God to justify beasts. That's how it foreshadows the Judgment Day. God doesn't care about the beasts. Paul asks. Paul, in his letters, asks, where he quotes the passage from the law, Thou shalt not muzzle the treading ox. Paul asks, Does Yahweh care for the ox? And the answer, of course, is no. Well, I don't know if we're going to play the clip from the show I did with Eli when he said that the Edomites don't have to be destroyed because Yahweh said that they will be made to come and worship at our feet and that that'll be, and then they just go off to wherever they came from. And I said, but it's also written that there won't be a single one remaining. And then he went on that whole how they're going to breed themselves out business. And I said, well, yes, they may indeed worship at our feet, but that's just a prelude to their final ultimate destruction. And he just kept saying, no, 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 they don't have to be destroyed as though – he has some agenda. He doesn't want them to be destroyed. And I asked him, I asked him directly, do you want these people in the kingdom? Is there, is there some reason you, you want them to continue on in existence? And he danced around the point and didn't address it. Well, Yahshua Christ himself says in John chapter 3 that unless a man is born from above, he shall not see the kingdom of heaven. He won't see it from the inside, he won't see it from the outside, and he won't see it from afar. Unless a man is born from above, he shall not see the kingdom of heaven. Ask Eli James who it was that's born from above. Clip 5. I'm sorry. Is this the Targum that's coming up? Yes, here we will hear here we will see Rabbi Eli James give Targums for targets. Yes, at the end of this clip, I might make a few pauses between now and then, but at the end of this clip, Eli James has Greg Howard read from Matthew, and then Eli James sits and interprets it for a Mexican. That's why I call it Targums for Targets.
Welcome back, folks. This is the voice of Christian Israel, where we have honest discussion of the question of race, not the dogma that's being presented to us by the evolutionists and by the theologians. Let me just quickly finish up what Josephus has to say about Cain. But Cain was not only very wicked in other respects, but was wholly intent upon getting. And and he first contrived to plow the ground. He slew his brother on the occasion following. They had resolved to sacrifice to God. Now Cain brought the fruits of the earth and of his husbandry, but Abel brought milk and the first fruits of his flocks. But God was more delighted with the latter oblation when he was honored with what grew naturally of its own accord than he was with what was the invention of a covetous man and gotten by forcing the ground. Well, Greg, what was Cain doing? I'm here, brother. Yeah. What was Cain doing? He said he was forcing the ground and invented the stuff that he grew. Yeah, he was the forerunner of Monsanto. That's right. He was was a hybridizer. Well, let me make a few words here. Clifton has written on this passage, and I don't agree with this passage. It's Josephus' interpretation of why God did not accept Cain's sacrifice. I consider it to be part... I I did agree with it at one time. It made sense when I first read it, and I thought, yeah, that sounds good. And then after some study, I I now... well, Well, after much study, I now accept it as part of the... The leaven of the Pharisees, and, and I just thought I would add that. I'm going to return to the, to the call. Well, well, I've always wondered, you know, back in the Judeo days, you know, well, why didn't Cain, you know, why was Cain's sacrifice accept, um, not acceptable? Was God just being arbitrary and no one ever had an answer? And then I came to understand that it's not that his heart was in the wrong place. He was offering something that was second-rate quality or hybridized crops. It was that Cain himself was unacceptable and cannot make a sacrifice because God is not going... It's not that Cain is hybridizing crops. It's that Cain is a hybrid. Well, well right, exactly. Exactly. And if, and if Abel didn't think that he was had a legitimate claim to the priesthood, he wouldn't have been sacrificing. That w- What we actually see is a competition between Abel. Abel is competing with Cain for a priesthood that Cain does not deserve. And that can right. be proven from the words, and, and I've elucidated this from the words of Peter in 1 Peter, combined with the words of Jude in Jude, where, where they count that the... Um, Moses being the eighth preacher of righteousness and Enoch being seventh of Adam and and it can be elucidated from those from those scriptures. But let's get back to the tape. I, I just thought I would uh, I would um add my two cents in concerning Josephus's interpretation, which I believe is the leaven of the Pharisees or or a part of it. Right, Isaac. Yeah. So this is how Josephus understands why Cain's sacrifice was unacceptable. Jose in Texas, are you with us? Uh, yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, I can hear you fine. Oh, great, great. How are you? Oh, okay, this is real good. Eli talks about God not accepting hybrids, and then <laughs> Eli starts talking to a hybrid. Okay, <laughs> let's continue. You guys having a good day? Yeah, oh, we sure are. 
All right. Yeah. Well, you know, this this subject goes, like, as you know, I, I called a couple of weeks ago, and this yes. the subject you're talking about is right to the, my question. Good. And like like I've said, I asked you before. You know, um, you know, uh, as being a Latino, you know, uh, most uh, South, North, Central, South, and uh, America are, uh, you know, it's basically a mix of uh, yes, right. the. Uh, uh, Arab originals and, and the Spaniards and whoever Portuguese and whoever came in, else came in, yes. and so you know I'm just kind of like where, where the heck does that leave me? You know I mean I love right. Yewa and I love uh, uh, yeah. Jesus and and I mean right. I, I was a Catholic, uh, you know uh, I kind of yeah. got you know, I kept asking you know all through Catholic school and everything I was the altar boy and everything I, but there was always sure. that question question in the back of my mind what what's wrong here you know. Right. Well, we have no problem with other groups of people, other races, practicing Christianity as they see fit, okay? But we Adamites are reminded and, uh, and instructed that we must not mix our genetic seed, okay? But this does not imply any hatred whatsoever. Just as blacks, you know, they, this is Black History Month, Okay. Right. Does that Black History Month imply that they hate whites or Latinos or anybody else for that matter? No. No, it doesn't. Okay. Although they do hate us. <laughs> they actually hate us way more than we have ever hated them, as the crime in, uh, statistics indicate. Right? Yeah, I've, I've always told them, you, you want to see prejudice and racism, just go to South America. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, race is, yeah, we're going to, Go to Japan or China. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 uh, uh, Anglos or Anglo Saxons have nothing on other races as far as, uh, uh, thank as, far you as very prejudice. Much. And, and, and yes. Thank you, Jose. Uh, I appreciate that because the Jews constantly accuse us, uh, and uh, most blacks believe that only whites could be racists. I always love that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course, it's absurd. It's just more mythology that is presented to the world through Jewish eyes, okay? Right. And so uh, I, I appreciate, you know, what you're saying. Uh, my, my position is that uh, you can be a Catholic, you can, you, you can be a Christian, but the Bible says we must practice our religion separately from others. Now, now that's, that, that's treacherous right there. He can, yeah, Jose can be a Catholic. Can Jose be a Christian? What is a Christian? Is Christianity simply another Eastern mystic religion that anybody can subscribe to? Is Christianity Shintoism or Taoism? Or does the term Christian mean, as it does in Greek, of Christ or of the anointed? Of Christ. Paul the Apostle says that if anyone has not the Spirit of Christ, he is not of him. You cannot be a Christian unless you're part of the Christian covenant. You cannot be a Christian unless you're one of the anointed people, one of the children of Israel. You cannot be a Christian unless you have that spirit that Yahweh imparted to Adam, our first father which we all have. You can't be a Christian like you could be a damn Republican or a Protestant or a Baptist or, or a Shinto pagan freak. Christianity is a racial religion. Christian is a racial designation.
Jose can't be a Christian because Yahweh said a bastard shall never enter the congregation of Yahweh. But you know, Bill, that's going to put off some genteel British Israelite people who Eli wants to bring into the fold. And those genteel British Israelite people, their attitude is why Brit British women are getting raped by savages every damn day today. Their attitude got us, got our race to this point. Back to, um, let's get back to Pope Eli of the Universal Identity Church. Okay. And it's because, because we are, we have a particular mission. That particular mission is spelled out in the Abrahamic Covenant, Genesis 12, 3. Whereas all other peoples will be blessed according as they bless us. All now, now that's a lie because Genesis twelve three says that all the other families of the earth will be blessed. And those, excuse me, those families of the earth are defined in Genesis chapters 10 and 11. They're defined in Deuteronomy 32, 8 and in Acts 17, 26. Those families of the earth are the Genesis 10 Adamic families. Eli has perverted that into all other peoples. But it doesn't say all other peoples. And even if it did, the Mexican's a beast, according to Eli's own theology. Was Yahweh telling Abraham that I will bless the beasts that bless you? Eli James is pulling a shell game. He's not a Christian pastor. He's a damned fraud. Other people will be cursed according as they curse us. Okay. On the other hand, we are not to go around, uh, you know, killing people. Uh, we're not to go around uh, domineering people. We are simply to serve Yahweh according to his purpose. And what well, we're not to go around domineering people, but Eli's eschatology is that the white people rule over the other races, right? That, that's kind of hypocritical. It's just a minor point. And when we do that, then there's peace on earth. Okay, when we serve Yahweh according to his purpose, when we do that, there's peace on earth. When we serve Yahweh according to his purpose, then there is peace on earth, according to Eli James. What about Satan making war with the woman? What about the flood of the serpent? The flood of the serpent is the other races in Revelation chapter 12. Christ came not to bring peace, but a sword. Of the Ammonites and Moabites, now it could be argued that the Ammonites and Moabites are Adamic people, even though they're inbred, just like Canaan, they're descendants of Lot. The Ammonites and Moabites were not told who they married. It's, it, it's ostensible that they married, intermarried with the Canaanites, but it's not guaranteed that they all did. We're really not told that in Scripture. Not in the Scripture in the Bible. It, it is in the book of um, Jasher, which I don't necessarily accept as legitimate. But it's besides the point. We're told of the Ammonites and Moabites. Yahweh told Israel in Deuteronomy 23.6, Thou shalt not seek their peace nor their prosperity all thy days forever. We shall so, not seek the peace of the other races. If P 
piece were possible, then what about John 15? Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Absolutely. I'm going to wind it back about 26 seconds, I think I hit it. And, and it gets worse than this. Genesis 12, 3, whereas all other peoples will be blessed according as they bless us, all other people will be cursed according as they curse us, okay? On the other hand, we are not to go around, uh, you know, killing people. Uh, we're not to go around uh, domineering people. We are simply to serve Yahweh according to his purpose. And, and when we do that, then there's peace on earth. Right. You know, like it says, you said in the Bible, and I, you know, if you read it right, you can see that, that you know, that Adam and Eve were not the first people created on Earth. That's I mean, right. Uh, there were other species it, before them. Yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. But what, what I'm looking at is, okay, so so let's say that's true. And, I mean, well, it is true, but uh, what, uh, where does where did these other races come from? I mean, and, and where where do they fit in the... Uh, in the scheme of things, what, I, what I'm trying to say is, is what what if, since we're not um, we're not Adam or uh, of Adam, you know, blood in the face. Yes. Uh, where does where does the Bible put us? I mean, where, how are we to serve uh, serve Yahweh? Well, we're obviously uh, designed to work together uh -huh. in His way, and we're supposed to get that out of the Scriptures. Whoa, 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 whoa! Did you hear Eli James just now? We're designed the, the, to work together. Jose asked about the other races. We're designed to work together. According, and we're supposed to get that out of the scriptures, Eli says. I'll tell you what I get out of the scriptures. I get out of the scriptures 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If I could find it, I'm sorry. If I'm, I'm in chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and, and I'm going to read from verse 13. Now for that same reward, as if to children I speak, you also be enlarged. Do not become yoked together with untrustworthy aliens. For what participation is justice and lawlessness? The law is only for the children of Israel, as so many Old Testament scriptures prove. And what fellowship has light towards darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what share the faithful with the faithless? They don't have the faith. They aren't included in the promises to Abraham. They're not the heirs to the covenant. Well, Bill, you might hurt their feelings by telling them they're not included. And what agreement has a temple of Yahweh with idols? For you, the Adamic man, you are a temple of the living Yahweh. Just as Yahweh has said, I will dwell among them, and I will walk about, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. There's nobody else in the equation here. On which account, and here Paul is quoting Isaiah, come out from the midst of them and be separated. We're not to work together with the other races, says the Lord or the Prince. And do not be joined to the impure. Only the children of Israel were cleansed 
on the cross of Christ. Oh. And oh. I will admit you. These are the words of God. We can't make doctrine from the words of God. We need to look back to see what the king of Assyria said or what the Canaanite woman said. Right. Peter, one Peter, Peter says in his epistle that we're to be a separate people, a holy nation, a, a kingdom of priests. The exact words that appear in Exodus chapter 19 of the children of Israel of old. We're to be separate. We're not to work together with the other races. Where in the hell does it say that in Scripture? Maybe there's a page about it in the Talmud, but it's not in the Bible. There's nowhere where it talks about the other races in Scripture. Nowhere, especially in that context. Unless you want to squeeze them into the beasts of Genesis 125. I think they're mentioned in Revelation, though, when the dragon opens up its mouth and the, the flood of water comes right. out. Right, the flood of water of the serpent. They're mentioned as the enemy. So how do we work with the enemy? Well, Christ asks, talking about the gifts that a father would give to his son, would your son ask for a fish? And would you give him a serpent? Who would? I'd like to know what Bible Eli James is reading. Where the hell does he say we're supposed to get that from the scriptures to work together with the other races? We're supposed to be a separate people. We're well, supposed to be a peculiar people and stay away from the other races. He's bouncing around more than a rubber ball. First he says that they all go back to their lands. Then we have dominion over them and rule over them. Now we work together with them. So his views change like the wind. Let's finish the clip. Okay. okay. So, uh, you know, and obviously there, we are not, uh, we're not to have race wars, but there's a group of particular people who want us to have race wars. <laughs> right? yeah. now, now that's treachery right there. Do the Jews want us to have race wars, or have the Jews simply used the other races in order to cow the white race? And they want us to mix with the other races. They don't want us to have race wars. That's a lie. That's a lie often repeated on, on the reactionary right or the Christian right. It's a lie. The Jew does not want us to have race wars. The Jew uses the other races in order to subject the white race to his plan for for Jewish world domination. So, if there's not supposed to be conflict, well, what about, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Absolutely. There's but it's no not doubt. from the Canaanite woman, so we can't listen to it. Right. There's no doubt. But the Jews, the Jewish plan is not for whites to have race wars with the other races. The Jewish plan throughout history has been for the, to pit white nation against white nation so that whites destroy themselves in active warfare and also to force whites through playing on their conscience to accept the other races as equals and mix in with them. 
if they promoted an open race where between whites and blacks, there wouldn't be any blacks left after a couple of weeks. Well, well, absolutely. That's absolutely true. And it might take seven months to bury the dead. And Eli never answered when I asked him, you know, who are we burying? If it's going to take seven months, who's getting buried? If they're right. all back off in Khazaria and whatnot in Turkey and the Arabs are back in Arabia, who's getting buried? Well, well Eli's eschatology is a very deceitful, devious, and dishonest eschatology. And the proof of that is real simple. Just listen to Eli, quote Isaiah chapter 13, up to verse 14 and stop there. And not read 15 and 16. Challenge Eli to read and see what happens to every man who turns to his own people and flees to his own land. See what happens to those people in verses 15 and 16 when even their children are dashed to pieces. Eli stops reading Isaiah chapter 13 at the word land in verse 14. Well, there's several other verses to that chapter. In fact, it goes up to 22. Why doesn't Eli James ever read them? Because he's a liar and a hypocrite. That's why. Let me finish this. Exactly. And they want us to hate each other. Okay? So, uh, actually, uh, that whole discussion is uh, we have that planned for next Sunday. And uh, that's uh, the beast of the field versus beast of the earth, etc., Okay, so that, and that's a very complicated question that we and we have to do the more. The whole work order to... of the earth right now has has been disturbed. Yes, and uh, yes. It, it's yes. it's completely upside down right. Now. That's why the the world is a disaster right now. Amen. Right, you know, unfortunately, the the Jew has um, okay. achieved a position of dominion in the world. So Satan really is running the world right now. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's why right. we uh, have wars. All right. Uh, but, uh, Jose, your question deserves satisfaction. So, Greg, why don't we go into Matthew chapter 15? Okay. Here we go. Targums for targets. And, Bill, you remember when Eli sent out that lesson with the Ronin Samurai and he talked about heaven and hell? Right. That was right after we split. Would it be appropriate for me to read that little lesson that Eli sent out? Well, well, you know, we're really pushing the two-hour mark, so let's finish this tape, and, and let's listen right. to Targums for Targets. All right. And, and then maybe you just summarize that lesson. All right. This is 20, I believe it's 24 through 29, where Jesus addresses the Canaanite woman. Oh, yeah. All right. And Matthew 15. Matthew 15. And see what's going on there. Okay. First of all, it's important to point out that Jesus Christ has no animosity toward the Canaanite woman. Okay. But nevertheless, he, he tells her, I cannot give you what the Father has presented as an inheritance for the children of Israel. Okay. So, Greg, why don't you start reading at, yeah, it's verse 22. Okay. okay. Yes. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Adonai, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. 
But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, so his answer, and that, that word lost, is coming from the Greek word apolumi, which means put away in punishment or exiled. Okay? Mm-hmm. So he, he's telling us, I, I'm, I'm only here for the benefit of the exiled sheep of the house of Israel. So he's basically telling this Canaanite, well, what do you want from me? <laughs> I'm here. This, I'm, that may I'm, well be the most overlooked verse in the entire oh, yeah. Bible. Right. Well, it only came for a certain group of people. Right. Okay, let's continue. Okay, okay. verse 25. Uh, then came she and worshipped him. Well, let me say real quick that Eli waters down the meaning of that of that passage just like the Living Bible does. In the Living Bible, that passage basically says that Jesus only came to help the lost sheep of the house of Israel. How? That's to help them. And Eli is watering down that passage and its meaning just like the Living Bible does. Just like when Eli was on a program recently, you had the clip available on your site, and he told someone that we're not to fraternize with the other races, and the Israelites were punished for fraternizing with them. Well, fraternizing could mean we sit down and shoot the breeze and have lunch together. I think it's quite clear they were punished for miscegenating. Well, well, here tonight in the beginning of this clip, and, and I forgot to mention it, here tonight in the beginning of this clip, Eli said that we're to practice our religion separately. No, that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that we are to exist separately. To exist separate, we're to be a separate people, period. Not just practice our religion. Oh, I have to go to a different church. I'm an Israelite, so I have to go to a different church. God commands it. <laughs> but but I could hang out and, and, and party with niggers and squat monsters all week. It doesn't matter. God's going to save them all. They'll just go back to their own country. Okay. The gospel according to Eli James. Okay, back to Targums for Targets saying, uh, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Okay, so he's telling her, Well, I can't give you what belongs to the children. Okay, it's not my place. I can't contradict my father who sent me here to, uh, um, what's the word? Salvage is probably the best word. Salvage the remnant of Israel, okay, so that we can do what we're supposed to do. Uh, read the next verse, next two verses, Greg. All right. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Uh, then Yahshua answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. Her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Okay, so Jesus healed the woman's daughter in spite of the fact that she was not an Israelite. Okay? Okay. Let's go back to verse 27 and analyze the three words at the very end of the verse. Their master's table. All right, Greg, where is the apostrophe after in the word masters? Uh, It's at the end of the word. It's at the end of the word. So it's S apostrophe, not apostrophe S. Yeah, okay. okay. All right. So what he's saying is that the Israelites are the masters. 
Did, did you hear that? Did you hear that? What he is saying is the Israelites are the masters. Eli James just took the words of the Canaanite woman and attributed them to Yahshua Christ. He said what he is saying. He didn't say anything. He didn't say anything like that. They're the words of the Canaanite woman. Eli James is pulling another shell game, uh, another Jewish bait-and-switch tactic. At least he's consistent about this one. Uh, I'm going to wind that back, oh, just a little bit. We're going to hear it again, what he is saying. The word masters. Uh, it's at the end of the word. It's at the end of the word. So it's S apostrophe, not apostrophe S. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. So what he's saying is that the Israelites are the masters of the Canaanites. Okay? Okay. And she accepts this as a fact. Okay? And she, right. because she says, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. So let me give you the short analysis of the fall of Lucifer <laughs> and how Lucifer came to the earth to enslave all of the existing races on this planet. Huh? And, and Yahweh sent us, he intended for us, the Adamites, to come and resolve that situation. Now, now that's nowhere in Scripture. That is nowhere in Scripture that Lucifer came to this earth to enslave all the races on the planet. Do you know where Eli James gets that from? I know where he gets it from. He gets it from Zechariah Sitchin. I was about to suggest that the gospel according to Sitchin. Eli James gets his end-time eschatology and his prehistory from the damnable Jew Zechariah Sitchin. Clifton Emmerheiser caught Eli. It's on his website right now. The things that Eli James teaches about Genesis chapter 1, about the Neanderthal and Cro-Magnon man and how Adam was a Neanderthal and reformed, that comes from Zechariah Sitchin. The passage is quoted on Clifton Emmerheiser's website right now. It's been there for two years. Eli James doesn't read the Bible. He reads Zechariah Sitchin, the creator of the Nibiru myth that Eli's pushed for so long and looked so foolishly when, it, when he swore it was going to happen last autumn and it didn't happen. By getting rid of the Luciferians. However, it didn't work out that way because one of those Luciferians by the name of Nahash seduced Eve and began to hybridize, produce a hybrid species, which continued the line of Lucifer on the earth. Okay, we'll be back right after these messages. Yeah, you know, the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is much greater than Cain. The seed of the serpent, I know what Comparay and Swift taught. They just didn't get it all. The seed of the serpent is the entire tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's much broader than simply the descendants of Cain. The descendants of Cain were singled out in Scripture because they were half-Adamite. Because they had mixed with our race. And for that reason, they are the tares because they were so hard to distinguish from us because they carry a great deal of our blood. 
maybe about 85% in some cases. <laughs> Eli James is a damnable heretic. He makes doctrine from the words of the Canaanite woman. He makes doctrine from the words of the king of Assyria. And he applies that to his eschatology when they aren't the words of God at all. He goes so far as to attribute the words of the Canaanite woman to Christ. He said it right there, what he is saying. And confronted with it, I'm sure he'll have some psychological hocus-pocus to get out of it and claim that he misspoke. How can you misspeak when you're reading prepared notes? Reading prepared notes and saying the same thing over and over again from program to program. You know, one thing that, that's really damnable, and, and I'll go over this before you, 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 you tell us about the samurai story, because the samurai story is probably a good way to end the program. One thing that Eli Roy writes in Crumbs, and that he applies to his eschatology, is the teaching, his, his paper Crumbs on his website is supposed to be the refutation of Clifton and I. And in Crumbs, he goes over Ezekiel chapter 18, and he recites practically the entire chapter, where Yahweh explains that even though in past times the children wouldn't, the children indeed suffered for the sins of the father, in Ezekiel 18, Yahweh explains to the children of Israel through the prophet that the sons will no longer suffer for the sins of the father, but they'll be judged for their own sin. And Eli takes that teaching in Ezekiel 18 and he applies it to bastards. Where he goes wrong is that bastards are not in Israel. And in Ezekiel chapter 18, Yahweh is talking about Israel. Bastards are not in Israel. And I'm going to prove that Eli is wrong with only three verses from Ezra chapter 10. And I'm going to read them now. Ezra chapter 10, this event in Ezra occurred after 457 B.C. Ezekiel wrote chapter 18 before the fall of Jerusalem at the hand of the Babylonians in 585 B.C. Therefore, it can be safe to say that Ezra chapter 10... The events described there occurred 150 years after Ezekiel chapter 18 was written. 150 years. And I'm going to quote from Ezra chapter 10. Now when Ezra had prayed, and when he had confessed, weeping, and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept sore. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehael, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God, and have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now therefore, let us make a covenant with our God, to put away all the wives, and such as are born of them, the bastard children, to put them away according to the counsel of my Lord, and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. 
Arise, for this matter belongs unto thee. We will also be with thee. Be of good courage and do it. And they did it. They put away the strange wives. And they put away the bastard children. And the men of Israel who did, who created those bastard children, they remained. Because you can repent from fornication. But the children cannot be accepted. Because a bastard shall not enter the congregation of Yahweh. And Yahweh's word does not change. Eli, in his crumbs paper, teaches that we destroy the Israelite race mixer and keep the bastard children. Eli's doing the exact opposite of what the word of God tells us to do. Eli James is a universalist and a deceiver. There is no doubt Eli James cannot interpret the instructions of Yahweh in Ezekiel chapter 18 and apply them to bastards because bastards are not in Israel. Not in the eyes of God. Maybe in the eyes of a 15% Canaanite, but not in the eyes of Yahweh our God are bastards ever in Israel. Ezekiel 18 cannot apply to bastards. <coughs> Brian. All right. The the Ronin lesson now? Yes. Well, the lesson starts out with a caravan of Portuguese traders arriving, and there's a priest in the caravan, and he asks, you know, uh, this um, Ronin asks the priest the same question, what is heaven and what is hell? And the Catholic priest talks about the catechism. So finally, he, he, he doesn't get a satisfactory answer, but he meets a Russian Orthodox priest. And according to Eli's lesson, I will now read word for word. You ignorant fool, you are a samurai. You should know the answer. The samurai, being of high rank and great pride, told the Orthodox priest, How dare you speak to me like a peasant? Don't you know who I am? I am more than a samurai. I am a ronin taught in the way of the samurai and in the fine arts of poetry, medicine, and philosophy. I come from one of the highest classes in society. You should watch your mouth and speak with respect. The Orthodox priest replied, You call yourself a Ronin, yet you act like a fool of fools. Be full of fools. How do you expect me to answer an idiot like you, Ronin? If you really are who you say you are, you should know the answer to your question, which is in your heart. But you are an uneducated peasant of peasants. You are no Ronin. The samurai yelled back, I could smite off your head for saying that. Nobody can disrespect a Ronin without paying with their lives, especially a foreign beggar like you. Your life is in my hands, so you better answer my question and speak with respect towards me. The Orthodox priest told the samurai, You with that sword are going to smite off my head. You are a blind peasant. You don't have the courage nor the skill of the Ronin to hold a sword. Don't waste my time anymore, you time bandit. Get out of my way. The samurai suddenly then took out his sword and slashed towards the orthodox priest. Yet suddenly the samurai, in an instant of conscience, stopped the blade an inch from the orthodox priest's neck. Yet the samurai had so much hatred towards the priest and told the priest, I hate you, foreigner, and I could kill you any time I want. And the priest said, Ronan, this is how. The samurai, with his mind back in conscience, quickly put his sword back in its sheath, looked down in shame at his behavior, and apologized for breaching his Bushido code of honor and perfection of character, and his grand ignorance and bad character of insulting and assaulting the priest. The samurai then asked the priest for forgiveness and offered to pay for a hotel, food, and new clothes out of guilt, repentance, and respect, and the priest replied, Ronan, this is heaven. 
And Eli goes on to say, hell is unbelievable hate, heaven is unbelievable love. And it sounds like it was written by some New Age Charles Manson fan. Some New Age Charles Manson fan. And this is the story, and I remember it, this is the story that Eli distributed when we split in order to defend his universalism. And he ended the, he ended the little blab here with, it should be obvious to everyone that Fink and Emma Heiser are trying to turn Christian identity into a message of hate. They will reap what they sow. Well, I hate what Yahweh hates. And Yahweh hates bastards. Why was Esau hated? Esau was hated because he took women of the seed of Canaan. And it grieved his parents. The only thing that was wrong with Esau's offspring is that Esau's wives were Canaanites, and it grieved his parents. And Rebekah proclaimed that she, her, her life would be useless to her if Jacob did likewise. And Isaac told Jacob that the inheritance would fall to him if he married women of his own race. By Eli's theology, just put Esau to death and bring the grandkids in the congregation. Well, well, absolutely. What's wrong with the Edomites? What's wrong with the Edomites if it's not that they're bastards of the cursed seed of Canaan? And Eli wants to save the Canaanite woman because Yahshua healed her daughter. And in truth, Eli doesn't understand the customs and circumstances of the time and the laws of the, 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 the customs that they were virtually laws of the suppliant. And, and, and that Yahshua really only adhered to those customs. Just like he found a way to pay the tax in Capernaum. Now, he may have gotten the coin from the mouth of the fish, but he paid the tax because he adhered with the customs of the time. Eli doesn't understand the, 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 um, the custom of the suppliant, which I discussed at length when I presented Matthew 15 and, and my Mark presentation. I discussed it at length and, and used contemporary quotes from contemporary literature to support my position. Eli just makes up a story and, and pulls words out of the mouth of the Canaanite women, creates Christian doctrine from them, and shoves them down the throat of Christ as if he said them. That's Eli's exegetical I'm well, looking, I'm looking not, for a word, and, and I just went blank. That that's Eli's practice of biblical exegesis. That that's go on. Well, I was going to say it's not a matter of what we claim he said. We've heard his words tonight on this program, and for by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned, and his words condemn him. Absolutely. I mean, how much do we need to add? I, we, we could sit here all night and quote him, but we've heard his words to, during the course of this program, and he says, oh, Bill attributes this to me, Clifton attributes that to me, and we're not attributing anything to him other than his own words. Right, absolutely. And, and tonight, it's proven beyond doubt that Eli James, whether he accepts the label or not, he's a universalist. And he insists on setting subjective definitions of what is white 
You're either Adam or you're a bastard. Period. If you're not Adam, if you're 15% of some other family line on the earth or, or some other race, you're not Adam. You're a broken cistern. You're a bastard. And our personal situation should have no bearing on the truth. Eli seems to be trying real hard to force his agenda for the sake of somebody. There's somebody who, who's 15% Canaanite who Eli's making apologetics for. Maybe more, because once you accept 15%, what about when the guy who's 16% comes along and says, well, you set the level at 15, and I'm just above that. That's not fair, so you raise it for him. And then the next guy comes along who's 17%, and you turn him away because he's 17% instead of 16%. There's no end. The one-drop the, the one rule is Yahweh's law. And the one-drop rule is the only morally founded racial policy. Once you create a, a subjective guideline, like 10%, 5%, 15%, 25%, it doesn't matter what percent. Once you create that subjective guideline, you slide down a slippery slope and you create Egypt. All over again. You justify it. You justify the bastardization of people. You can't keep Pedro out of bed with Susie because you have no moral foundation to do so once you make subjective guidelines and accept well, them. What if you're not interested in keeping her out of bed? Right. Okay, we're going to end this here. Thank you for listening, and praise Yahweh. I will be here, well, well Friday night, March 22nd, Yahweh willing, with Amos, part 8. I will be here next week, and, and perhaps we'll get back to the Paul Basher series. There's a lot to be done there, and um, I'm not sure yet. I have to think about it. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Praise God. In conclusion, Eli James is a universalist. This program has done far more than necessary. We've had far more than two or three witnesses in this program. Out of Eli's own mouth. Praise Yahweh and good night. Call recording has been completed. Only Yahshua Christ is going to stop the rain, but it's a nice thought.